Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy. Oh, I scared Jay there. My name is Indy. <laughs> you look up, you're like, whoa. And oh, we better unmute over in the Discord. There we go. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy. And that is Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting from the Powell Group sitting there next to me. And welcome to Indie Game Business. Today, we've got Ben Kuala. Qualo, so I say the wrong part of it wrong. Qualo, and we are talking about unlocking success. This is the title, Indie Game Publishing's Promising Future. And you know what's super interesting is over the next course of the next few weeks, not next week, of course, but because that's Gamescom, we're going to be talking a lot about indie game publishing. So that's super interesting. That's that's news to me. That's awesome. Uh, (laughs) Ben, welcome to the show we're going to start where we always do. Tell us how you originally got into the industry and then walk us through your career up to this point. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm originally from uh, just north of Madison, Wisconsin. Um, so I went to school at UW Green Bay. Original plan was to go into sports management and that did not work out well, but I started a radio station in college went into radio shortly after college, really did not like it at all, and then got recruited by a company called 2K, which at the time was a pretty small uh, video game publisher um, that was just starting to, to put out some uh, pretty risky titles at the time. So I came on um, as their first operations person besides our executive team and really worked from there to build out our central operations group um, uh, or central uh, technology operations group and the global marketing organization. And I spent time traveling uh, to London and Paris and Madrid and Munich and Amsterdam uh, and Singapore and really learning the nuances and challenges in the video game space globally. And then did other random things for our COO and, and president, including like board of directors, presentations, game pitches, building studios. And so that was really kind of the base layer of how I got into the industry, learning the many different areas, working with developers uh, and working with a number of other uh, 
of of other folks just from around the industry and in a, a growing org and so it was a it was a fun time to be able to work on things like borderlands and bioshock and nba 2k as it grew into what the giant sports franchise that it is today uh, i took i went from there and went to blizzard and checked out and dipped my toes in esports which was a fun uh, a fun time, uh, especially in that era where esports was really starting to grow. Uh, Blizzard and Activision were heavily invested. Overwatch League was just starting up. We had just built uh, the Overwatch Arena uh, in Burbank. And so I was leading the BlizzCon piece of that and really bringing together all of esports into one, uh, you know, one event. Uh, at BlizzCon, and we had six broadcast stages focused on esports during that event. So I led that for a while, and then I went to Netflix. I was the first hire onto the marketing operations team for films, so I jumped into films and helped to build the infrastructure around that, led marketing campaigns for things like Bird Box and Extraction and Army of the Dead and uh, Mitchell's vs. the Machines, Don't Look Up, and like 50 other films during that time. It was a, it was a lot of volume uh, and a lot of really valuable lessons on how to scale um, your business. Uh, and then we got this opportunity that Netflix wanted to get into games, so I joined right away on the game side of things. I was one of only a few folks from the company that had worked in games previously. And so joined that and, uh, and really grew it all the way through our product launch, um, through figuring out how we release games, what is our style, how, are, how do we develop as a publisher, and so for a long time, like I was known for some of my, you know, more sarcastic comments on LinkedIn, like when I said, uh, wait, Netflix has games, uh, which is what a lot of people were saying at the time. And so got to build that from the ground up, which was a unique uh, experience and really exciting things happening over there. And then decided to uh, uh, leave that all and build my own company, which I'm in the process of building right now, which is a video game publisher focused on supporting underserved developers in regions like the Midwest. Awesome. All right, so do me one quick favor. Pop over on the Discord and yeah. write on my name and then completely mute me from your side. That way we don't get an echo. Completely mute you should be muted but just drag my volume all the way to the bottom okay we good now we'll find out that's okay. <laughs> all right so you're announcing the publishing company soon yes so we, we can't really say you're your founder or ceo of x company because that's that's yet to be revealed i know the answer to this but for everyone else why the midwest hmm yeah so there's a number of reasons uh one one you know i'm from the midwest uh and i want to see games succeed in a larger way here it, it has a strong history of success midway was here for a long time uh created incredible titles like mortal Kombat and nba jam and nfl blitz and uh cruising at the cruising series and many others um but you know they went out of business in 2009 and sold all their assets to Warner Brothers. Uh, so for me, uh, it was seeing that there wasn't any other dedicated publishers 
in the Midwest and seeing an opportunity to be able to better support developers that could be succeeding um, if they had the support from uh, a funding end of things, from a support layer of production, QA, localization, marketing. And so with that being my background, uh, I just saw a unique opportunity for me to come back and provide you know, everything that I've learned in my network and try to establish things uh, back to what it was when Midway was a, a prominent player in the space. We, we were in a completely different conversation. We actually had that talk on a personal level with several Midway execs because we're hitting the point of the industry where the newer folks coming in don't really even know who Midway was. Yeah. Or, or, and it was just like, oh my God, I'm old. That's just the bottom line because <laughs> I'm, I'm old. Um, there is a lot of stuff that comes up. I mean, there's a lot of good developers in the Midwest. And so are you going to be focusing on just development from that region or expanding it or how, what's the deeper strategy in supporting that part of the U S yeah, I, I think there's an opportunity in this region and many others uh, in the United States and outside of it, because you know, there is talent everywhere. And for us, it's really about being able to just better serve that talent. And so our bet is that by being here, we will have some advantages with that. And so that's what I'm really just excited about is, is the ability to look at a region like the Midwest and just ultimately prove out, hey, there's talent here that are doing incredible things, have incredible games, and are just overlooked. Um, and and undervalued uh, when the reality is they're just as talented as anybody else anywhere. All right, Discord saying that you're still echoing, but I don't see you echoing on here, so no idea. Anyway, all right, um, you've got you've gone from the AAA world with, with 2K, Bioshock, all those you know great games over to Netflix, which mobile-esque i'm i mean it's it's hard to put the netflix stuff into a, a sincere category and now you're going to you know go into indie publishing but now i'm saying all right dan pop in and explain because i don't know how to fix it anymore all right <laughs> all right so ben over in the discord yep if you right you see how there's all three of us at the top yep if, if you right click on jay then there should be like a mute ticker. Yeah, I got the I got it muted, uh, and I got his vol user volume all the way down. Okay, well, something's happening then. I don't know what to tell you. It's just going to echo, or we can just stop it over in Discord. It's up to you, Jay. Uh, it'll echo. All okay. right. So, what changes in the market are you seeing to? Because obviously, you could have gone in and said, "Okay, I'm going to do. I'm going to aim for bigger titles, or I'm going to do more mobile publishing, that sort of stuff." Why indie games, and what opportunities are you seeing there? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's been cool seeing kind of the intersection at Netflix. We were able to take you know indie games, but also like non whatever's considered indie games, and bring them on the same platform. Uh, there's a large opportunity since the the industry is consolidating in the way that it is that uh, the indie space is where innovation comes from and where uh, where opportunity comes from. And so, for me, I just see you know if we want to make 
big differences and change the industry and challenge the industry and grow the industry, it's going to come in the indie space. And so how do we better support that space? Because, you know, some of the biggest games in the world are all, you know, people don't consider it anymore indie games, but all of them are like indie games. Uh, you know, there's, there's the fewer AAA games um, that have, that are required to have bigger success than ever before. And so there's just a lot of the money that being pushed towards less and if we can add some money um, towards indie double A games, I think we're going to find that that's where innovation is going to happen. And then, you know, triple A will copy from there. But that's that's just where I lean is where is the innovation happening and it's happening in the indie space. Yeah, I mean, you don't we, we've talked about that on the show before. You're not going to see, you know, Activision, EA, THQ throw a bunch of risk into some new type of game look how long it took anybody to start doing battle royales even after you know battle uh, pubg and fortnite got huge and then they're like oh well maybe we should try this because i mean i agree with you 100 the indie teams are the ones taking the risks and doing the new stuff and it's only after it gets picked up that you know the, the big triple a's start diving into it so I know we're going to have a bunch of questions coming in shortly. So for everybody out there, if you're on Discord, if you're on YouTube or Twitch or wherever you're watching us, if you've got questions about publishing, pitching, working with publishers, this is your chance right before Gamescom to get those questions in there. So when you're looking at games that are being submitted and the things that you're possibly going to publish, what are you looking for? What are those things in a submission or in a pitch that make everything stand out and go, oh my God, I need to look at this? So I really look at, um, you know, what what are they doing in the market they're trying to hit, you know, differently or uniquely or, or you know, just, just skills-wise and their ability to execute? Uh, you know, you just, you just see so many different kinds of games that might be in the same genre. And, and ultimately I just am like, Hey, do, does the developer have the ability to hit that market in, in a way that is going to, going to penetrate it enough and, and resonate with an audience. Um, And then is that market also big enough from, from an amount uh, perspective where how much that game costs is worth the market you're going after because there's some niche markets that if the game can can hit that entire market awesome like it's it's great and if it has that potential then we will invest in something that might be in a niche market uh, but if it if we don't feel like it can hit that and it is niche like it's that's that's where there's a lot of challenges and so you know, in pitches, I think some of the biggest things I look for is somebody that just really has a vision laid out. They know what their game is. Um, they know what they want to do. They know how they want to hit their market and they know their market. Um, and they know that that their game needs to cost a certain amount to make it uh, make it make sense in that market. And so when you're going through and looking at your games, like that's a big piece. It's just really knowing the market you're going after. Um, because some people can accidentally like hit a market that they didn't realize they were hitting. But if you have intent behind it, you know, you might expand your market outside of it as well. We had this conversation last night with some friends of mine and he said, you know, what do you, what's the biggest, 
you know, thing you've seen in the market. And I was like, it's indie studios who are coming up and creating games that are competing. And I brought up the battle bit. I was like, you got a game that's like absolutely killing it on steam. And it's three people that made it. And that's the sort of stuff that you're not going to see. I mean, it's, it's always entertaining to me to see an indie team like that beating out the battle battlefield series, which is what it was all based on. Um, you brought up cost, and that's always a good argument. Um, what do you feel is the prime range for the price of an indie game? That's that's tough because it all, you know, it, it, these answers, it always depends on the game, right? It's it's I, I, it's hard to bucket in until you look at the title and say, okay, this is what it is. But you can always compare it to the potential of the, the genre, you know, what other similar games have sold in that genre. You know, if you have a, a genre where the, the highest end version of it has only sold like 2 million units compared to another genre that sold 20 million units, um, you know, it's it's uh, easy to argue that, that, okay, well, you can spend more on something that it ha- has a comp that has sold 20 million units. But I really look at it like if we can hit um, anywhere between anywhere south of a million dollars or or maybe two million as you get into the more double a space um i think you have a unique opportunity as long as it has the market ahead of it uh to to hit the market in a strong way and not overspend um on and and add a lot of risk like what happens in AAA where they spend so much money they have to insure it and the marketing budgets get bloated and you know you get a lot of of things that just aren't necessary and and don't innovate and they just copy a lot of the things that have already been done because that's been proven out um, and there's just so much risk they can't they can't risk more by doing something really innovative. And so that's where like this hundred thousand to a million space is really a, a really interesting space for me. All right. So and we've got questions coming in here fast and furious all of a sudden. So Sam from YouTube, do you plan on extending the, we have good, but overlooked opportunities in the region mentality to other regions and countries as well? Yeah. I mean, that is that is where I see a huge opportunity. Um, obviously, we're st- we're starting and focus in the Midwest because Midwest is like last, and so like take the the one that's in last and prove it out, and then you can s- see other places. Um, but uh, but there's a lot of opportunities. You know, there's opportunities in South America. There's opportunities in Africa. There's opportunities in Eastern Europe. There's opportunities opportunities in mexico canada uh there's a plenty of overlooked places again talent is everywhere we're in an industry uh in um in you know the the globe that that you don't have to have some of the infrastructure that something like i've you know i've worked in films there's a certain amount of infrastructure you have to have, which is why it's so challenging for the films industry to move to these other places. Games is not the same, especially these days. You know, you could argue maybe five, 10 years ago, it was a little bit different, but especially post COVID, we're in a whole new world where anybody can do uh, great work anywhere in the world. And we just need to give more opportunities to those people. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, all right. So uh, from Discord, a very straightforward question. Where and when can we reach out with our pitch to you? 
There will be more news coming up, but uh, LinkedIn is a great place to start. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm I'm the only Ben Qualo in the world, uh, so it's really <laughs> it's really easy to find me. My my last name is so rare, uh, so you can always reach out on LinkedIn. Just know I get a lot of messages. Um, I try to always respond. It's just sometimes difficult, but then there'll be a lot more information coming um, soon. Um, so just kind of pay attention and obviously you'll see any announcements on my LinkedIn as well. All right. So you mentioned, you know, that developer having a clear vision for their game. How do you know if they have a clear vision from it for it from the pitch that you get? I mean, the pitch deck is usually pretty telling, you know, it's, if someone has a clear vision of it, they're, they're hopefully able to articulate it in, in a way, uh, in a pitch deck that, that tells me, okay, like this is what they want to do. This is how they want to do it. Um, and this is the direction that they're going. And so uh, you can usually tell uh, via pitch deck. Now it's not always the case. Sometimes you have to play a demo um, or a prototype of some sort. And then you can see, oh, I see what they're trying to do here. Maybe they didn't articulate it well in the pitch. And so giving a number of different routes to try and give your vision because everyone, you know, everyone can speak different languages or, or lean heavy in different areas. Some people are really good at pitches. Some people aren't. Um, if you can give multiple ways for someone to see your vision, I think that's always a beneficial just because everyone is a little bit different. So you mentioned, this is from Binary Clone on Twitch, you mentioned pitches where the indies know their market really well. In terms of publishing, do you think that market knowledge can also be something the publisher helps bring to the table? I think a lot of indies have great games, but go to publishers in large part to help them with the marketing and market knowledge, not just funding. A thousand percent. It, the you know, it's not about you knowing exactly what you have to do from the indie end. Like, in fact, a, the publisher should be able to, to look at something and say, okay, yeah, I, I get where you're going. Here's where our expertise can help you. That's ultimately the value of, of a publisher. It's just getting to the point that you have enough there that you can get them to see it and then take it to that next level. But absolutely, that's that's the whole point of a publisher is being able to up-level and support a developer. I think some publishers might not always see it as that that support layer, but I really like believe that you know the the great publishers out there and there are a lot of great publishers out there want to uh, provide the resources and support to ultimately uplift that vision that is that is coming in and saying hey what if we did it this way it would be even better or if we added maybe we at, need to like add some art outsourcing or or maybe we need to add additional languages that we weren't initially planning for um, and so a a publisher should bring those expertise to the table so how important is that section of a pitch deck where the developer is putting their projections? Because we see this a lot in, in decks that come through. The developers are like, okay, this is what we've seen in the market. And this is, you know, what our anticipation is for the sales of the game. How important is that versus what you're doing on your own internally? Yeah, uh, it's really important. Just because it gives you, it gives a good idea of what your plan is. Um, it doesn't mean you, a publisher wouldn't give a ton of feedback back on that, but it's just more so that 
that it gives us a good idea of at least what your plan is. And, and then we can figure out and give you feedback on certain things. I think some of the most valuable pieces are the folks that are willing to take on feedback and think about, um, think about things differently as, as you go, because, you know, I've had pitches where I'm like, Hey, have you thought about doing it this way instead or spending your resources this way? Or, or instead of having, you know, some resources dedicated to this area, like dedicating it elsewhere and having that discussion and the, the developers that are like open to that discussion and just want what's best, like is great. But sometimes, you know, you also have to make sure you continue down your vision and not be pushed too far in a direction that a publisher might want, which might actually push you away from what the game you're trying to make is. Uh, so it's always a balancing act. And I think it's a, just a really good discussion piece so that uh, a publisher and developer can make sure they're on the same page. And if they're not on the same page, that's probably not the right or publisher for you. Um, or for us, like that might not be the right developer for us. And that's okay too sometimes. Sometimes these things don't match up and it's okay to move on to the next. So from Lee over on YouTube, hey Lee, how you doing dude? Um, what are your thoughts on a developer using Steam Next Fest for a vertical slice demo versus saving it for an early access loss, launch? Can you think of any negative or publish, positive publisher side effects? I can't read today, but yes. I mean, I can't read it every day. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's... it. There's good and bad to both both things. I mean, we've I think everyone has seen it, it good ex, good examples of using uh, Steam Next Fest um, for a demo, and probably some bad examples. And and the same with early access. Uh, I think the thing that a publisher would look at is, um, you know, what was the momentum you got off of that, and was it worth it compared to holding back and doing a bigger moment later. Uh, that can really, really drive as much of the audience. You know, there's so much content, whether it be games, films, TV shows, music out there in the world that that it's easy to get distracted, you know, and, and I have ADHD, so it's really easy for me to get distracted um, at times. And so, so it's like, how do you create a moment that immediately drives in? And, you know, some of the stuff like, some of my previous experiences, some of our best campaigns and, and especially from a marketing lens were ones that were really short where we had a huge moment and it led right into the launch of uh, whether it be an early access or full game or a film or whatever it is. Um, sometimes that short um, time span is much better than elongating something and trying to keep momentum over a long period of time. So there's good and bad to both. Um, and I think it's it's just making sure you have a strategy around what you're doing. And as long as you do, it can succeed. And you and guess what? The best strategy in the world might not succeed either. So uh, so don't be afraid to do some of those things. Um, and and then have an honest discussion with a publisher later um, if that's that's the route you're going. You're in good company with the ADHD. I, 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 at some point, I want to see a statistic on how many of us in the industry are on the neurodiverse pattern because I'm sure it's like north of 80%. I mean, because all of us, that's, it's like how we all end up in this industry for some reason. And yeah. Um, all right. So from Binary Clone on Twitch, do you see any opportunity in the sub- $100,000 budget range. Of course, that's a pretty small space, but I know there are indies working solo or in very small teams with projects that are more mature 
looking for smaller sums to get over that finish line. Getting the polished professional artwork or music, is that a space that you are open to exploring? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like if there's talent, there's opportunity, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's an interesting game. Yeah, some folks, you know, really bootstrap. It's so similar to the investment space where you're, some folks will bootstrap something, you know, all the way until they get to the funding piece of it. Um, and they might bootstrap it still from there as well to get a higher percentage of, of their company uh, over the long span. And so it's just uh, there, there is absolute top-notch games in, in that space that I think have a lot of opportunity. The, the caution with it is if you undersell like your amount, you have to be careful. Like underpaying developers is not something that I'm a big believer in. I think it creates toxicity of like, you know, and, and devalues the incredible talent of developers by saying, oh, well, we can do it for this really cheap price. And then you ultimately are are just barely getting by. And, and that's not what I want to see in the industry. I want to see a healthier ecosystem where we pay developers what they're worth. And so sometimes, you know, I and I've said it to developers is you should increase the amount that you have because what you're trying to do uh, is worth that. Um, and and like, you don't want to devalue yourself. And, and yeah, some publishers might say no to that because it doesn't fit in their range. I think in the long run, it, it benefits you more to just make sure that you're getting paid what you're worth. Uh, but it's, it's a challenging space because not every, not everybody like approaches it that way. And that's an important note to point out because I see it all the time. Indie devs come to me and they show me a project and they give me the budget. And I'm like, there's no way you can do this game for that budget. And they're like, well, somebody told us that, you know, this is our first game and we're an indie dev and we're not going to be able to get more than this. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Um, so yes, it, it is a, I agree. I actually gave the same advice to somebody yesterday. I told them they needed to jack up the price of their, their game because you, you do get in situations where a publisher may look at it and go, well, if that's the budget, it's not going to be a very good game. And then you get the, investor side of it too where they're like it's not worth us investing 50 grand into a game because we're not going to get as much out of it so i'm, I'm glad you feel that way i agree <laughs> um all right so from tom on youtube considering the rise of indie game development and the numerous recent layoffs in AAA, do you think we are living in a golden era for creating and publishing indie games it's an it's a really interesting question. It's not you know just layoffs in AAA. It's layoffs in every business around tech and games and every angle of everything. I think yeah, it it creates opportunity because you know folks are are outside of their comfort zones. Like when you get in a company and and I've been there uh, on that's a big corporate you know, company and you get a steady paycheck and you don't all like you get, you know, your job, you do your job, you do it well. Uh, you don't have to really think about it right now. So many people uh, and plenty of people I know um, have had to go through this scenario of, of suddenly out in the wild again and figuring things out. And with that, I think a lot of people are going to go the route of creating something, whether it be new companies, 
games um, and and anything else. Uh, in fact, that's you know part of what I was looking at when when I decided to leave Netflix was the opportunity to go create in in what I agree could be a, a golden era of a lot of innovation when there's so much talent out in the market that uh, have to kind of challenge themselves because of tough circumstances. I think a lot of innovation comes from that too, as much as there's a lot of negativity that comes from it and certainty. And it doesn't always go that way. There's a, there'll be a lot of stories of, of folks getting laid off and really their life is, is in a, in a tough space. And then there will be stories of people uh, that are able to take that and overcome it and, and innovate and create something really incredible. So yeah, there will be more games from more developers than ever before, both from the standpoint of uh, the fact that so many people are on the market and, and, and trying to do something new. And from the fact that technology is at a place where a lot more people can do things easier than ever before. You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash indie game business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck, finding a publisher and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. Chloe from LinkedIn with a question that I don't think we have ever seen before in the however many years Dan and I have been doing this. Who should be the one to reach out to a publisher? Should it be the marketing director or the producer slash manager? Uh, whoever can get the connection, right? Some publishers are really hard to get to uh, and connect with. Uh, and this is a this is a business of relationships and networking and whoever has that connection uh, in to whatever business you're trying to get in with, you should leverage that and utilize that. And so it's never any one um, person uh, because it's just getting in. And then from there, you can bring the rest of the team in or whoever you think is key. Uh, and also it depends on what game uh, and what's, what your angle is. You know, if, if what you have to sell is really like the more, the marketing uh, opportunity of the game, like it's really flashy in a, in a way that it's cool. Maybe the marketing director is is the better one. If you know, it's a more like, oh wow, our our tech for this game is really unique. You know, like Battlebit, like the fact that you know a couple developers can develop something so so unique and but large scale. You know, if you were to ask a lot of publishers, they would they would say, oh no, you can't do that with such a small team. Um, maybe it's that that somebody from the tech end that is really should be speaking to what the game is if it makes sense plus you know everyone's a little bit better or worse at presenting you probably want your best 
presenter out there, your best salesperson, whether they're actually in sales or not. So uh, it, it depends. Um, but I think just really evaluate uh, who can get you in with somebody in the door. And then you can always shift who that main person is at once you're in the door. Very, very good answer. That's awesome. It is. I mean, everything in this industry is relationships. I mean, you see it every single day, like Gamescom tip for next week. It's good to be on the floor and seeing people and doing meetings, but it's also good to be off the floor at events in the evening, just networking and introducing yourself to people. And because that's going to yield you as much business as those meetings that you're in every half hour too. So another one from the Discord, James asks, what are some ways to reduce risk for a publisher without increasing the budget? For example, adding art outsourcing, project management, QAs, et cetera, to adds to the budget. Some ways to reduce risk. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's no matter what a, a risky business because um, you're spending a lot of money um, and then need to do a very complicated thing to market. Um, some opportunities is is you know just having folks with expertise in that have done it before that have been through it before. Like if you're able to at least have somebody um, that has seen it, um, you know that's that's a way to reduce risk. Um, other ways uh, are just just the larger opportunities um, or large opportunities outside of just the initial game launch. Uh, you know, how can you add value with what you know you're you're selling? Like, do you have an awesome soundtrack that you could potentially sell as well? Like that that could be cool. Uh, could you do? You know, is your game really incredible art, and in that you could do something like an art book or a premium edition or something like that? That always helps because you know the fans that really connect with your game will want to engage with that content. As long as you price it a thing that that proves to be valuable to that audience, then I think it works really well. What you don't want to do is is have something that's not valuable and then try to sell it for a price that's not it, it's not worth because then you really uh can make audiences angry at you and that's not what you want to do especially when you're building communities uh so, so all of those are kind of ways uh, at least from a publisher's end that you could add value that that reduces risk in in some ways but no matter what we're in a risky business um and uh and if you're risk averse this might not be the best <laughs> route for you uh sometimes <laughs> I, I had an investor ask me yesterday, if we invest in games, what percentage of those games are going to make money? I was like, it just depends on everything. This is not like many other industries where you can chart that kind of shit. It's just very risky. Um, from LinkedIn, what should developers be attentive to when getting in touch with potential publishers? Well, just know that uh, publishers get a lot of pitches. I get multiple pitches every single day. Um, and so it, it's tough as even with the best of intent, you know, it, it's tough to get back to everybody. So don't get frustrated by like the lack of response. Um, you know, in some ways it's similar to like hiring when you don't hear back from 
you know, a, a recruiter or, or things like that. Like it can get really frustrating. Perseverance is really important in this industry. I've, I've known it personally as well. Uh, so it's, it's just knowing that like, like, and don't be afraid to night, like follow up in a nice way. Uh, because some of those times I'm like, Oh, I really wanted to respond. I just forgot and missed it. I'm glad you followed up. Uh, but always like, just understand where they're coming from as well and just try to keep that perspective, which can be tough in the moment because it can be a bit frustrating. Um, and then other things to just just kind of be aware of with a publisher is sometimes you might only get one chance to talk to them. So make sure what you're presenting and showing is something that in that one chance you can catch their attention in the one way or another. Um, and sometimes that means less is more uh, don't throw out everything because that might actually overwhelm somebody that might already be overwhelmed. Um, and and sometimes just get straight to the point of what it is. And that can be the entry point that opens up a wider conversation with more team members. Um, so those are, you know, a couple points. I could probably come up with more, but those are good ones. Here's another good one from the Discord. Where do solo developers stand in terms of risk versus reward for publishers? The one person teams. Uh, game development is hard. And when it's only one person, um, it, like me, if, if I was running a publisher as just myself, like that is a lot of different hats that I have to wear to be able to do that, which is why, you know, we bring on folks that, that have those expertise areas. And some people are really good at like kind of a, a jack of all trades. In fact, I saw something the other day that like, especially folks with ADHD are like jack of all trades because they're interested in so many different things. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, you know, the risk is that that is so much on one person and some folks have done it and they've done it incredibly well. It takes longer um it's but it, it is it tends to be cheaper obviously as well it's just uh, it's a lot and you know from a standpoint of burnout putting all of that on your your shoulders alone and i do this a, a lot myself is trying to take on too much myself um it it can create burnout when you don't even realize it, and then suddenly you feel it and you hit a brick wall and if you have commitments at that point it's really like hard to break through that wall because you don't feel good about anything um and it goes into the mental health aspect of things which you know we always need to talk about with with game development and so it's just a lot so that's that's really where the risk lies next one from discord wait we've already done that one hold on never mind skip that one here we go how polished should a game be to get you or how polished should a demo be in order to be suitable to be presented to a publisher? I don't think it needs to be polished. What you need is that you can ver like you have the loop, whatever that cell, that that thing that your game is going for, you have it in place in a way that can be recognized by somebody from the outside so like you know having some user testing with friends and other things or like and like getting them to like be like oh yeah like i get it like that's really what you need you don't it doesn't need to be polished in a, in a major way as long as you can show that the the whatever you've created aligns with like 
your future vision um, and it and it can resonate with people that aren't yourself because we're all biased. Uh, and so we, we were like, well, yeah, obviously, like, why don't you get that? Um, and a lot of people don't get that. And so I think just getting to that point is really the biggest key. So you utilizing your network, your friends to to kind of check that and make sure that you don't have a bias and that you think, oh, yeah, everyone should understand this when in reality, maybe they don't. And if they don't, just keep working on it and iterate on it, get some more feedback. Like feedback is so key to, to continuing to develop your vision. All right. So what can game what can a game development community organizer do to help studios in their area or connect them with resources, especially in areas like the Midwest, which tend to be overlooked? There's a couple of things. You know, there's obviously game jams are a great way to get people together, to get people connected, uh, supporting local community events. You know, I was at um, GDEX in Columbus, Ohio, which was an awesome, you know, industry event. And so supporting things like that, you know, there's a, there's a bunch upcoming as well. We, uh, I think next week is 2D Con in Minneapolis. Um, you know, uh, later this year is MDev in Madison. Um, and so finding out those local events and there's, there's tons all over. There's a bunch of Chicago, there's a bunch of Michigan, there's a bunch, uh, you know, Indianapolis and, and other places, uh, and engaging those like helps to bring and grow the community. Cause you see, oh, there is a lot here. Um, and, and if you're supporting one another, you can grow together and build the community together and also get people from the outside to come join that community and, and maybe go to their first, um, games uh industry events uh that they've ever been to and then that opens them to this wider world that is this larger games industry that we know a lot of these huge events but sometimes it starts small sometimes it starts with a, a game jam where somebody's does their first game jam 48 hours and and they get introduced and then they start down the path everyone's at a different point in their path on this industry and it's okay to be at that point it's okay to be in your first steps um, and then it's okay to like engage with folks that are much further down the line that can help give pointers so that you can continue down the path um, because this is a really incredible industry that that allows for so many opportunities in so many different areas it's it's uh, so cross industry like functional like I, I talk about this a lot of like uh, the games industry allows you to transfer into a lot of other industries if you don't want to stay in games because uh, of the technical skills, the artistic skills, the fact that you have to bring together these things that don't always blend extremely well together and you have to figure it out, the problem solving that happens. So there's a lot of opportunities um, to, to move into other things from the game space uh, or move into the game space from other things because of the, those skill sets. And that perfectly bleeds into the next question from the Discord. Is an advanced demo good enough to build trust for a team that has experience in other fields, but not particularly game dev? Yeah, I mean, I've worked with with folks that come from other fields, whether, you know, that maybe they had a, an app that was like a gamification app or or they come from the tech field or they, or they come from something that's completely like, different uh yeah that always gives confidence um that oh well they they kind of know what they're doing but i think if you're coming from outside the willingness to learn and grow and sh and sh like show the ability to pivot quickly is a really important piece to this 
because uh, even if you're a veteran game dev, if you're stuck in your ways and not innovating and changing, like you're not going to be able to do your vision of things. And so I always just look for people that are willing to grow and learn, even if it's, they're not coming from the game space. Um, because I was in that same area at one point, you know, whether it be getting coming from radio uh, into video games, I used like, I said, hey, well, I've been doing these operations things. I've been building out our traffic department in radio. I've been doing these things that transfer well from a from an operation standpoint. And then I built my skill over time from just operations to marketing to to product management to you know adding different levels of like you know we we had AAA games, esports, mobile games, uh, and and just adding those things over time, but using the fact that I'm willing to pivot to something new and go from you know core uh, AAA development to esports to films to mobile-ish. Um, uh, it's just that sh showing that you can do it. And the minute you show you can do it, people have trust that you're going to be able to do it again. All right. So along those lines, what are some of the things that you found or learned or seen in AAA and mobile that you think are applicable on the indie space that aren't being fully recognized? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, when you get to that level, especially like AAA and, and the, the mobile space, there's a, like a heavy dose of data. Um, those folks lean into data you know, some would argue too much, um, but uh, but they utilize that to improve their game, uh, improve how the audience you know uh, pays attention to it. So I think data is something that I think indie developers, uh, the more you can lean into it or have your publisher lean into it, I think the better and the better you can utilize that data quickly to pivot towards whatever it is. Maybe it's the fact that five minutes into the game, you get a large drop off. Well, what is that? Like, and being able to utilize that, that data and move quickly allows you to retain your audience for longer periods of time. And so really that's where there's a big difference is they have, you know, large departments dedicated to it, which is also tough. It's time consuming. It might not be your expertise. So how do you, how do you get that? Maybe it's working with a consultant. Maybe it's working with some kind of data firm or, or something. Um, all of that is really uh, potentially, um, potentially ways to make up for it. And, and I'll apologize if anyone is trying to figure out what that sound is in the background. That's my dog snoring because I'm watching her trigger the mic in Discord every time she exhales. Um, where's my, I lost my comments. There we go. Yes, from Lee. Any tips or recommendations when approaching Sony or Microsoft for prototype funding? Does it benefit you if you already have a prototype and are looking to improve it, improve it with these funds? Yeah, again, the networking piece is huge. Uh, what I'll say is, especially from the networking, get to know people before you need something from them. Otherwise, it's not very authentic. Uh, you're just coming off as like you're taking, like give before you take. Uh, and then approaching somebody like that uh, or a connection within the industry or somebody that knows somebody at Microsoft is much easier. 
Um, yeah, it always benefits to have a prototype. It always benefits to the more you have, the better, the, you know, the further along you have, the more you can say, Hey, this is exactly what we need for the funding that, um, that, uh, that we're going with or that we're going down the route with, um, is, is going to help you. Like it's, it's the, the, again, it's like knowing exactly what you're going to be doing, your vision, how you're spending your money. All of those things are really, really valuable uh, as you go to pitch to some of these folks. But it, again, it all is networking because if you're just trying to get into the Sony's or Microsoft's or Nintendo's or any of these um, different big players in the industry, just know that there's thousands or tens of thousands of other people um, also doing the same thing. And and the, the more you can leverage your network and uh, a, a really strong vision, um, the better you have, a better chance you have of landing with them and, and them being really interested. So what are some of those things that you feel are growth opportunities you know are there genres coming up that aren't being you as utilized as they should be i saw steam was doing a visual novel promotion you know last week where are those areas in the industry that you're seeing the most opportunity for growth for indie teams I mean, indie teams have the the flexibility to kind of go outside of the norm. And so, yeah, it's it's the ability to challenge some of the things. Now, getting funding for that can always be challenging because not every, everybody on, you know, on the, the funding end can kind of see outside of those norms. But being able to try new things and see how it how it goes, you just have so much more flexibility in the indie space. A genre-wise, you know, we're we're seeing a bunch of new things uh, pop up. Uh, you know, narrative games is an interesting space and coming from, you know, Netflix, like the ability to blend, you know, and have a, a better middle space between, you know, a very passive experience and a very active experience and having like something in the middle, like is is super interesting for some people, for some audiences. It's just knowing that you're never going to hit everybody. So as long as you have an audience that you can go after and people that are interested in that, uh, there are there are opportunities in a number of genres um, that that maybe uh, aren't either major right now or were in the past. Everything kind of comes back, right? You know, we've had a lot, seen a lot of successes in beat 'em ups um, uh, uh, lately, and that's a genre that's been around for forever and has up ebbs and flows with with the success of the titles and i think a lot of it is just more so when you have talent and and great games going into a certain genre that genre is going to go uh it'd be amazing there's a lot happening in the cozy space uh that's really really interesting and kind of innovation on the cozy space uh and so that is is growing but also getting very saturated so if you want to go into it uh, it's going to have a lot of challenges in going into it because there's so many other players in the space, and that's so dependent on building a community in that space. All right, so we've got five or so minutes left. If you've got any questions, get them in quickly before we wrap up for the day. The All right, so Binary Clone, how do you feel about modern monetization strategies as an indie publisher? Things like microtransactions, battle passes, energy systems, gotcha mechanics, et cetera. 
Listen, I I uh, I hate all of that stuff. To be just brutally honest, um, I love, and maybe it's just you know I'm um, on the older end of the spectrum at this point. Uh, I love being able to buy a game, and you have the game, and like you have the full game, and then uh, you add, can add content, and that content is worth the price that you're paying. And having an industry where that makes sense. So I'm not a huge fan. That doesn't mean that it can't work in certain circumstances. I think we just have too often folks trying to take advantage of audiences and and you know and tendencies and you know like and habits and addictions and things like that that i just don't you know i don't feel good as a person doing some of those things and so obviously with my business i want to be investing in the areas that i think uh are can grow um and uh and and grow and, and thrive and i feel like there's also a pendulum that is swinging back to that kind of experience where you can get full experiences you know i saw it at netflix where when we can take a game and put it on the service at netflix it's a full experience everything there's no microtransaction you know they took the game uh, heads up um which you know you had to buy card packs on and put the whole thing on on netflix and that's like awesome you know imagine not having to buy all those individual card packs um that's that's really great uh and i think there's going to be a trend towards these premium experiences premium mobile i think is going to be a growing area and obviously cloud is a growing area as well you know i think it was earlier this week that netflix launched the first cloud streaming game um and controller and, and things like that and so all of that is really uh, leans into the more premium experience that you get a full-fledged game. You're not paying those microtransactions. You don't have gotcha mechanics. Um, it's all just about the experience of having uh, fun with a game. And it just brings us back to, you know, why we started in games in the first place and why we enjoyed games. No one was like, oh, yeah, I love games because of, you know, all the free-to-play components. <laughs> I think I like having buying a game and having it is one of the better quotes we've had on here in a, in a very long time. So from James on the Discord, how do you balance I've identified a genre and audience that's underserved versus I know this genre really well and I like making and playing these games if they're not the same? I mean, in my world, it's all about balance. I have to force myself to be like, I can't, you know, for me, like, I can't just go after games that I would want to play. You know, I have to really constantly be looking at, at audiences. You know, I love my role-playing games or my resource management games, you know, things, things like RimWorld. I, you know, put over a thousand hours into, because I love that kind of game. And so like, I lean that way, but I just have to recognize that that's my bias. And so when we evaluate a game, I will immediately say, hey, I have a bias towards this game because I love this genre. I lo love it. So that, you know, my team can balance me out and really look at it objectively, say, okay, well, here's the market and here's how we think we could, you could hit that market and help and best serve the developer. And, and do we have the skill sets as well? Like, like, are we able to best support them or are there actually better publishers that could do, do better than us? <laughs> I, I love that because I get in that, you know, 
<laughs> I, I get in that trap myself and it's like well the data doesn't really and the market really doesn't support this type of game and i'm like i don't give a shit i like it that's this is this well, is what i want and sometimes you have to take those bets sometimes you also have to say actually like i just think this is this could really do well and and too often we lean too heavy on data and and that and we don't follow our gut now you again it's always this balance between but sometimes your gut is telling you right and and like if you're seeing people enjoy it and you're able to verify that in some other ways you know follow your gut on some things it, it's one of those things it's like any of us can get out there and run comps and data on steam spy or whatever you know methodology that we're using it's the people with the good gut is that's what makes the difference in terms of getting it on board now then of course you got to have talent on the development publishing side but yeah this is industry is very much about gut well and the industry uh, would be pretty boring if we only ever yes. went with the data right exactly <laughs> only ever, it would be all the same thing you know there would be a bunch of call of duty clones and that would be all that would be it the um <laughs> i saw this at a pitch session last year developer pitched a vehicular combat game publisher answers well there's not a lot of market that we're seeing for this and i just had to interrupt and i went that's because none of you will publish one it's like you can't sit there and say there's no market analysis for this type of genre infinitely because if no one actually goes and does one then it's not going to matter um but this has been awesome and i'm looking forward next week to the big announcement you know so we can stop calling you midwest publisher cam Midwest publisher guy. Um, anything you want to plug here at the end? Here's your chance. No, I just uh, follow me on on LinkedIn. Um, and there's, yeah, I'll just tease that there's a there's a lot coming very soon, uh, and we're very excited to uh, to go out in in a major way, introduce a lot of things. Um, but yeah, uh, more to come soon. I can only say so much, obviously. So I'm being a little bit coy. But uh, but I'm ex I'm excited and and ultimately for me it's it's being able to support incredible developers. Uh, I'm just it's fun to be able to work with like I'm I'm like a half creative I'm a wannabe creative, uh, but to be able to like truly like work with people with incredible visions is is just it's it's inspiring. It makes fun. It makes work a lot of fun. Awesome. We're looking forward to seeing it. Dan. Yo. Hey. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we hope you had a blast and found our podcast enlightening to stay in the loop with the latest industry secrets. Make sure to sign up for our newsletter at IndieGame.Business. It's packed with exclusive tips and updates that will give you a competitive edge in your field. And if you're looking to expand your professional network and connect with like-minded individuals, you should join our Discord, discord.gg slash IndieGameBusiness. It's a perfect place to engage in stimulating discussions share ideas and collaborate with fellow gaming enthusiasts and also before you go don't forget to check out our indie game business merch yeah i'm gonna get me an igb uh cap here sometime streamlabs.com slash indie game business slash merch your choice of fantastic merch not only brings joy to you but also empowers us to give back even more so indulge in the new collection and let's grow together as we fuel the indie spirit thank you all for joining us and thank you ben for hanging out that was, was awesome this i really enjoyed it thanks all right folks we will not see you next week i'll be in germany
in but we'll Germany see you after that. Yes. Eating eating Wiener schnitzels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.